the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Starting with us at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday, the 30th and penultimate morning of the month of October in the year of our Lord, 2018. Thank you. Really appreciate you being here. We got a very, very full show for you today. Coming up in about a half an hour, a man that is a very, very polarizing figure in American politics. Some of which I believe is his doing, some of which I believe is uh, the work of his enemies and enemies of the Trump administration. Former Trump advisor Steve Bannon is going to be joining me at uh, about 9.35, and we are going to talk about nationalism, the president's doubling down on his uh, statement that he is a nationalist, and the left's insistence that that means white nationalism, despite white never being a part of the equation. The president is an economic nationalist, as his advisors have said many, many times. But we're going to talk about nationalism. We're going to talk about caravans. We're going to talk about the midterm elections. And Steve Bannon, uh, again, polarizing figure. I realize that. And I'm going to talk to him about all of that, how he's viewed uh, in this country, uh, you know, how his uh, career and life have changed. Remember, he was an extraordinarily successful part of Breitbart News. Uh, had a morning radio show on Breitbart Forever. He gave all of that up in order to join the Trump campaign team and then eventually the Trump administration, and uh, uh, instantly became the face of the alt-right, according to the critics, and I think completely unfairly and unjustifiably, but he was the alt-right. He's white nationalism and more. So we're going to talk to Steve Bannon about that at about 9.35. Then at 10.05 this morning, David Ray will make his return to the program. David, of course, is my friend from the Federation for American Immigration Reform. I wonder what it is that we might talk about today, especially considering the fact that the President of the United States told Axios in an interview that's going to air on HBO that birthright citizenship in the United States of America is going to end. On immigration, some legal scholars believe you can get rid of birthright citizenship without changing the Constitution. With an executive order. Exactly. Right. Uh, Have you thought about that? Yes. Tell me more. It was always told to me that you needed a constitutional amendment. Guess what? You don't. You don't. Number one. Number one, you don't need that. Number two, I mean, that's in dispute. You could definitely that's very much in dispute. Well, you can definitely do it with an act of Congress, but now they're saying I can do it just with an executive order. Now, how ridiculous. We're the only country in the world where a person comes in, has a baby, and the baby is essentially a citizen of the United States for 85 years with all of those benefits. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it has to end. Um, have you talked about that with counsel? Yeah. I have. So we're in the process. It's in the process. It'll happen. This With year. an executive order. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, that's exactly very interesting. what I'm talking about. I didn't think anybody but knew that but me. I thought I was the only one. Jonathan, i got a good guess. Good I'm guess. Impressed. So the president laying it out, saying that, yes, we can change the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. We can end birthright citizenship. Rather, not we, but he can end birthright citizenship in the United States with the simple stroke of his executive order pen. 
Now, I'm not a legal scholar. I don't know if that's that's exactly accurate or not. But again, we're going to talk to David Ray, who works in this field for the Federation for American Immigration Reform. That'll be at 10.05. And we're going to talk to you about it as well. And I'm going to say this. Of all of the, rather, for all of the different um, questions that many of us had when Donald Trump ran for office back in 2015, in the summer of 2015, it's hard to believe it's been three full years plus now that he first announced that he was going to run. And through the fall of 2015 and through the spring and the primaries of 2016, through the nominating process and the convention of 2016, a lot of people had a lot of questions about Donald Trump. Can we really do this? Can we really make him the face of the Republican Party? Can we really nominate this man to be the President of the United States to take on Hillary Clinton? And for all of the questions that we had, Questions about statements, questions about temperament, questions about uh, ideology. Because remember, he spent a good large part of his life uh, essentially living and speaking as a New York liberal. Not too terribly dissimilar from Hillary Clinton and others. I remember talking about this. For all of those questions we had, I think we have seen every one of them answered. And answered in the most affirmatively and positive way uh, even imaginable. I never thought that I would have a president in my lifetime, and probably ever, who would undertake some of the most basic, extraordinarily important issues um, that people like me, people like us, that we felt. I have forever, since since I started reading the Constitution and studying it, even on a limited basis, I've never understood how it is that we grant citizenship to people who are just born here, whether they are supposed to be here, their mothers are supposed to be here or not. I've never understood that. If my pregnant wife and I had traveled to Paris for vacation and she went into early labor there and she gives birth to my child, is my child a Frenchman? No, my child is still an American. And that's the way that it always, you know, had been and should be. And conversely, if a caravan of 7,000 migrants slash immigrants slash invaders from Central America successfully breaches our southern border and pours into the United States, is, is being processed for their asylum request, disappears into the continental U.S., never to be seen from again, and then in the in the ensuing time gives birth to children, those children automatically become anchored to the United States, hence the term anchor baby that so many people are offended by, political correctness gone wild. But they are anchored to the United States, and thus the parents can cling to that anchor and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Sure, I snuck into your country under false pretenses. Sure, I, I broke your laws swam that river, climbed over that fence, came in in the back of a truck, or just came to the front door saying, Asylum! Yeah, I have credible fear of persecution for my government. Now get out of my way. I'm coming in. And because of our laws, they're right. We have to let them in. And tell them we're going to process you, you know. You're, you're going to have to come back here 
for for an asylum hearing so you can tell us about that persecution and provide verifiable proof that your government is persecuting you on the basis of your race or your nationality or your religion or your political affiliation. You're going to have to prove that to us, you know. Okay, no problem. I'll see you at the hearing. (laughs) 90% of them gone. Never coming back for hearings. And then again, popping out babies that are automatically American citizens. And then when we find them after they skipped out on their uh, their asylum hearing, when we find them and say, all right, you said you were coming back for your hearing. You didn't. You're here illegally. You got to go. What's the hue and cry automatically? You can't depart. You can't deport me. My child is an American. You can't break up my family, you heartless Republican, you heartless conservative, you heartless believer in sovereignty and laws and immigration or uh, immigration law you can't do that and then the liberals go crazy and the press goes crazy attorneys like david leopold go crazy how dare you break this family up that's what they do the president is speaking for me the president is probably speaking for you when he says we have to end this We absolutely have to end the practice of birthright citizenship. Now, whether he's right or wrong, when he says, they are telling me, I don't know who they is, does he mean his counsel, White House counsel, but he says, they are telling me that I can do it with executive order. I don't need Congress to change the the, the Constitution. If he says that, okay, I don't know whether it's true or not, but the president is speaking for me by saying, I'm going to try. He's speaking for so many of us who believe in having our sovereignty. And our sovereignty can only be ensured if we have borders. And our borders can only be uh, ensured if we have laws that back them up. If we have laws, and including, that's right, the 14th Amendment that says, in the Constitution, or to the Constitution that says, you can circumvent our laws by just showing up illegally, popping out a kid, that kid's legal, and now you get to stay. Well, then we don't have a nation very much, do we? It was always told to me that you needed a constitutional amendment. Guess what? You don't. You don't. Number one. Number one, you don't need that. Number two, I mean, that's in dispute. you could definitely that's very much in dispute. Well, you can definitely do it with an act of Congress, but now they're saying I can do it just with an executive order. I don't know who they are. What does that mean? Now they're saying. Who said that? Uh, somebody on Fox News or one of your actual attorneys, a constitutional scholar, a con- constitutional professor? I, who are we talking about here? Who's they? It's ridiculous. And it has to end. Um, have you talked about that with counsel? Yeah. I have. So we're in the process. It's in the process. It'll happen. With an executive order. That's what you're talking about, right? Yes, exactly. I didn't think anybody knew that but me. I thought I was the only one. Jonathan, I've got a good guess. Now, let's. I'm going to dig a little deeper here than I perhaps want to at the moment, but uh, I I just kind of feel forced and compelled to. Why do we have the 14th Amendment to the Constitution? Why? Why do we have birthright citizenship? And the truth of the matter is. For a very good reason. There was a reason to have this written into the Constitution in the days of and in the days shortly following slavery. It's a part of civil rights, an extraordinarily important part. As we know, African slaves, during that horrific, terrible, uh, dark period of American history... 
uh, black Africans were not considered citizens because they weren't even considered people. They were property. That's how they were viewed. So naturally, when they gave birth, that was to property, not to citizens. And even after slavery ended, they still weren't given citizenship, or at least considered to be citizens. Uh, freed slaves didn't have life that was terribly much better than um, than uh, slaves that were that were still in captivity, and neither did their children. And so it was important. It was important for the United States government to recognize these children who are being born here to non-citizen Africans are citizens. We must give them citizenship. We have to give them an opportunity in this country. So that was understood and and certainly a very noble and important and necessary step. I have no problem with it in its origin. But those days are long behind us. 150 plus years later, we have no need for said uh, uh, birthright citizenship laws. We don't have slaves that are not being considered uh, citizens, uh, and then whose children are not being considered citizens, and so on and so forth. This is this is just part of the uh, the evolution of this country that that you know we we no longer have to worry about those those types of things. Thank God, of course, thank God. Now it's an entirely different situation. Now we're just talking about American citizens, and you have to actually be an American citizen. Again, if two American parents are on vacation and the mother goes into labor early and gives their birth to a child in Chile, that child is not Chilean. But if a couple from Chile is vacationing in the United States and gives birth uh, uh, prematurely or, you know, just, uh, you know, the timing works out that way, they're giving birth to an American child? No, it cannot be that way, again, because of the encouragement that the 14th Amendment... um, uh, uh, gives, provides to would-be illegal immigrants in this country or people who are waiting legally to come into this country. I file the papers. I'm waiting. It takes a long time, oftentimes years, to get uh, permission to, you know, to live in the United States, to emigrate to the United States of America, to try to become a citizen, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm tired of waiting, but I can get in on a, vis- on a, on a, on a, 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 a visitor's visa I can come to the United States on vacation, or I can maybe, you know, got a young woman who says, I'm going to enroll in an American college and come here on a student visa and then have my child. And now I've got an automatic in. My child is an American citizen. I'm her mother. I'm his mother. You cannot deport me. So legal and illegal aliens are all encouraged to come to the United States to do this. The Pew Hispanic Center estimates that approximately 7.5% of all births in the United States are to illegal immigrants. That's roughly 300,000 illegal immigrant babies who are thus, by the 14th Amendment, considered to be American citizens per year. The Pew Hispanic Center also estimates there are 4.5 million children born to illegal immigrants that received citizenship via birth in the three. Nine twenty-seven. Now the Bob France Authority on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. If you just turned on the radio and if you did not hear yet, the President of the United States says he will sign an executive order at some point ending the Fourteenth Amendment and birthright citizenship in the United States. Now, how ridiculous! We're the only country in the world 
where a person comes in, has a baby, and the baby is essentially a citizen of the United States for 85 years with all of those benefits. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it has to end. And it's not just about the baby, as I noted in my opening monologue. It is also about the parents using that child's anchor status to the United States uh, as their reason to stay, even if they are here illegally. It's a huge problem, one that I will discuss with both of my guests this morning, Steve Bannon, who will join me in about eight minutes, uh, and then also uh, David Ray from the Federation for American Immigration Reform. Uh, to the phones we go, as promised. Carol got in from Cleveland Heights. You're now on the air on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, Carol. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. Listen, there is a whole industry that has been built up. There are hotels all along different points on the border that are there specifically because we have these liberal groups that are bringing women into the United States who are pregnant, and they've got these hotels set up with delivery rooms and everything else. These people are being delivered. They're making a whole industry out of this. I love my president. As an African-American woman, I truly appreciate my... I'm the great-great-granddaughter of a slave owner, of a white slave owner in Georgia. And... As a descendant of a slave owner and a sla- and slave, I am so proud, and I love this president because he's protecting me. Carol, that, first of all, about your points on the border and those hotels, you are 100% correct. Not a lot of people know about that because the media will not focus on that. They will not tell people about that cottage industry that they have going down there to bring women in across the border to have their American anchor babies here. And then the, again, thus to use them for, uh, you know, for, for their own status in the United States. And second of all, what an amazing story you just told me. So you are a descendant of a slave owner and a slave. And, and and so you are you are African American and you support the president uh, because he protects you. How does he protect you particularly? Well, first of all, he's protecting us in terms of our rights. I am so loving him sending the military to the border. If I was the president, I would have shut that border down a long time ago. He needs to shut that border down. I want him to do whatever he has to do to stop this invasion. And if that means standing at the border with guns ready to go. Because I guarantee you those men are carrying weapons or they have weapons that are going to be provided to them. And I just have this vision of someone shooting a a rifle or a a weapon that can't be seen. Nobody knows where it came from. And we shoot back and and that's the next sound bite that we see. I love the way he's protecting our economy. He's making deals for us with regard to trade. We have been so taken advantage of. I'm loving that he's going after China. I'm loving that he's got 52,000 sealed indictments waiting to go. I want to see these people go. I love it that he has increased the military at Gitmo in preparation for what is about to happen and these FISA things being revealed. I love this president. Carol, you are a great American. God bless you. God bless your family. And thank you for calling and sharing that story. And I hope you will call again, dear. Okay, thank you, Mr. Thank you. Thank you. That was wonderful. That was wonderful. 931, let's get news now. Steve Bannon, former advisor to the president, next, right here on AM 1420. The Attention, social justice warriors. If you're looking for a safe space where your delicate ears won't be offended, this isn't it. 
This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. It is indeed, and we roll onward now at 935 on AM 1420, The Answer. Phone lines will be open again at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Don't forget, you can tweet to me at Radio Done Right, all one word, Radio Done Right, and Facebook comments to France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio. David Ray Federation for American Immigration Reform will be joining us to talk about the end to birthright citizenship if the president has his way. That's at 10.05. But joining us now, as mentioned, Stephen K. Bannon. Stephen K. Bannon, you know the name by now. You just might not know his history, and you might not know exactly uh, everything you need to know about him. He has been an extraordinary patriot in the United States. He is a Navy veteran. He has been uh, a media executive. He has been a strategist. He has been a uh, former CEO of the president's presidential bid, then when he was candidate pres- or candidate Donald Trump, rather. Then, of course, chief strategist in the Trump administration. Highly successful radio host uh, on uh, uh, Sirius XM with Breitbart. News, and he gave all of that up to join the Trump administration, and uh, now his career has taken him in a lot of different directions. We're going to talk about some of those here on AM 1420, The Answer. Stephen K. Bannon, good to have you on the program, sir. How are you? I'm honored to be on this morning. Thanks for having me. You know, I, uh, I listened to you uh, for a long time when you were doing Breitbart News. I thought you did a fantastic job of advancing the current conservative agenda and the movement in this country. You called so many of the uh, the media hacks. Uh, uh, the president now is termed, of course, fake news. Uh, you, you called them out. You called them out as you know for for what they are. And um, <laughs> and you're, you're chuckling about you're that. Start, tell me why. You're, start, you're, start, you're starting trouble already. I can tell. No, because it's supposed to match that day one. That the opposition is Donald Trump was not a. It's a the Democratic Party is totally disorganized. They farmed out to Netroots Nation, to the to the to the Times Up movement, to Tom Steyer uh, group, and to the resistance. They're kind of ground game, and they've uh, they've turned over their propaganda arm to the opposition party media. And I think that's what President Trump keeps saying. It's the fake news industry that he calls the enemy of the people. The fake news industry he calls the opposition party that's out there tearing down every day. And he's well, relentless about doing it. He's not. He's not going to back off. Well, you're 100% right, and and you, of course that just feeds you know the fire uh, of of the critics against him. Uh, John Kasich, for example, of course the embarrassment Republican governor of my state who did not even show up at his own party's nominating convention in his own home state for the president, did not vote for uh, the president, uh, and he is out there now, you know, among the loudest voices saying the president must stop this immediately. He must stop saying the press is the enemy of the people. Stephen, has he said the press, or has he said fake news media is the enemy of the people? <laughs> He's very specific. I think mean, he says the fake news uh, media. Look, it, it's the propaganda arm of the uh, of the establishment. It's the propaganda arm of the what I call the party at Davos, right? This kind of scientific, managerial, financial uh, elite, a cultural elite uh, that are really globalist in nature. Whether that's in uh, whether that's the city of London, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, Los Angeles, Shanghai, you know, you pick it. And, and Trump's, but you know, bold about this. He's a nationalist. He's fighting for the American people. And he's not not shy about this, and he, he's going to continue to fight with people. Look, I tell people about President Trump, and particularly this is his first reelect. He's the, the coming midterms. Is that you got to separate out the signal from the noise? The signal is very strong: economic nationalism, a turned around economy, you know, lowest black unemployment in history, lowest Hispanic what in twenty five years, manufacturing jobs coming back now, America first, national security, deconstruction of the administrative state. Trump is hitting the marks on everything he said. He told the American people he's going to do, which is unusual for a politician. Now the noise—you're going to get a flashbang grenade every day with the you know Stormy Daniels horse face, etc. But that comes as part of the package. You know, he would not be president of the United States if it was not for social media. You know, Twitter clearly 
uh, helped him in the primaries uh, to, to, to actually go through that field like a fifth of grass. So I tell people, you know, you got to take the whole package, and the whole package is on the ballot next Tuesday. Stephen K. Bannon is my guest. Again, he's a former chief strategist for President Trump in the Trump administration. Stephen, I want to go back to you for a moment before we get into the issues of caravans and, and nationalism and civility and all the other things that are going on right now and the birthright citizenship story that uh, broke this morning. As I noted, you were a highly successful radio host and, and, and executive with Breitbart News. Uh, and, and I, like I said, I thought you were wonderful. I think the organization there is still wonderful. You gave all of that up to join the Trump campaign and then eventually to join the Trump administration. That has, you know, turned your life upside down. Of course, as we know, you left the Trump administration. Um, you wrote a book in which there were some comments that were very, very critical, it seemed, of the, of the president and the administration and fire and fury. Actually, and actually, 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 I didn't write a book. It was, uh, the, oh, I'm sorry, it's quoted. Uh, you were quoted in. I'm sorry. You, correct. Yeah, but I apologize. But you were, let me finish the timeline yeah, for our listeners, yeah, though. Yeah. And since that yeah. time, you, you went back to Breitbart, but when those, when those comments came out, you were quoted as in that book, and thank you for the correction, you, you parted ways with Breitbart again, and, and now you find yourself, you're making an independent film, which we'll talk about in a moment, but your life turned upside down when you decided to go to work for the president's campaign. Do you have any regrets, Stephen? No, no, here's the thing. For nine years, really since the, the financial crisis of 2008, I have <clears> dedicated <throat> my life to this populist nationalist movement, whether it's at Breitbart for organizations I set up to do investigative reporting like government accountability, which did Clinton Cash, to throw them all out uh, with Peter Pointer. I've dedicated my life to building this populist nationalist movement for the, for the last nine years. That's just a same throughput. I took one year of my life off from August uh, when I stepped into CEO to yeah. August when I left the White House, knowing I would take one year off. Ever since then, I've got my own C4. We're building the ideas and the concepts and back of the Trump program to drive the Trump agenda because the Trump the populist and nationalist. Now we expanded overseas. You see what happened in Brazil the other day. This is a global revolt of the nationalists and the populist. I've dedicated my life to this. I work every day to do this. I have a film out on C4, but no. Now I don't regret it. It was a natural to me, you know, career. At the time, the campaign needed some assistance. President Trump is the greatest candidate we ever had. It had some organizational issues. I was, you know, helpful. It was helpful with uh, Kelly and Connolly and others to help turn it around. And clearly, President Trump closed that. But no, it's uh, I couldn't be happier and uh, excited about uh, what I'm doing to build this movement every day. And here's the reason: this movement gets stronger every day. The more the mainstream media tries to attack it, the more they try to demonize uh, the working men and women uh, in the United States and also throughout the world, whether it's in Italy, whether it's in France, whether it's in Germany, whether it's in Brazil, that support this movement. Uh, you know, I feel I feel like we're on the right side of history. Stephen K. Bannon is my guest, former chief strategist to the president. Um, can you describe your relationship with the president now, or do you have a relationship with the president now? Well, no, listen, listen, I think, you know, the president, here's a relationship. He comes out this morning and does, uh, and, and talks about EO for uh, birthright citizenship, which is something we had talked about and, and kicked around with people for a long time. So President Trump, I think, is doing an extraordinary job. I feel like, you know, I never left the White House. He, he's hitting the marks every of exactly what he told the American people he was going to do. Remember, in the campaign, all we did in, in August said was to get Trump to focus back on the core issues he believed in. And that's why we were able to close that huge gap with Hillary Clinton. Now you see in the White House, after the first year of kind of getting his sea legs and having some people in there that didn't totally support his agenda, as books have, uh, have shown, I think he's now back to hitting all marks on his agenda. And that's why his popularity rating is going up. 
And that's why I think if everything comes together, he's going to pick up a couple of seats in the Senate and I think hold the House of Representatives by one or two seats. President Trump right now is on a roll. And if you're a Trump supporter and I'm a Trump supporter, I couldn't be happier. Stephen, uh, um, President Trump said uh, last week uh, that he's a nationalist. And he was very clear in saying between globalism and nationalism. He defined globalism. Did you tell me what? Your, your, phone, your phone's cutting out on me. What was that? actually said it's time to cut the nonsense because I'm a nationalist. I put the national interest of the citizens of the United States first. That's my job. That's what I was hired to do. Right? He says, I'm not a globalist. Right. I, I don't think in, in kind of globalist terms, I think what's in the best interest of the United States, like other leaders should think of what's best is the interest of their countries, like Salvini in Italy, Bolsonaro in Brazil. Right. The, the people in those countries should think of what their best interest is. And in that way, you get uh, you get harmony. And I think that's why President Trump has been so successful. And I think that's why people are really understanding what he's trying to do and drive this agenda that puts American citizens first and puts the country first. Stephen K. Bannon, that was stated perfectly. I said the exact same thing on my program after the president stated that. However, as you know, Jim Acosta said this. Mr. President, just to follow up on your comments about being a nationalist, there is a concern that you are sending coded language or a dog whistle to some Americans out there that what you really mean is that you're a white national. Now, you're familiar with that term because you became, uh, you know, public enemy number one to the left almost from the very beginning because they described you as a white nationalist. They described you, talking about the president's critics on the left, as a white supremacist, as a member of the alt-right, maybe the father of the alt-right. You've, you've been through all of that. Go ahead and respond yeah, here's, to that. Here, here, here's, the, here's the thing. President Trump is an economic or civic nationalist. And here's what makes their heads blow because they understand we're carving into the Bernie Sanders guys and you see through Kanye West and, and this Blexit movement, we're carving into the African-American vote. Economic nationalism does not care about your race, your religion, your ethnicity. Okay, it doesn't care about your gender. It doesn't care about your sexual preference. It doesn't care about any of that. It's not relevant. What it cares about is you're an American citizen. And that's what President Trump puts forward. Economic and civic nationalism is not ethno-nationalism. has nothing to do with race. Ethno-nationalism is completely and totally absurd. Okay, it's an absurd concept. Economic nationalism, civic nationalism, nationalism is the glue that binds us together. And what they're freaked out about, what the opposition party media is freaked out about, is they understand that working men and women in Ohio, in Wisconsin, in Michigan, are the one in Pennsylvania are the ones that made President Donald J. Trump president of the United States. Okay, and they're freaked out about it. And I've said from day one, we can take. 25% of Bernie voters who are economic nationalists, we're going to take a third to 40% of African-American working-class folks and middle-class people. We're going to take a third to 40% of Hispanic working-class and middle-class. And once you put that coalition together, based around economic nationalism, there's going to be a change in this country like the coalition of 1932, and you're going to govern for 50 to 100 years. It's as evident as the nose in your face, and that's why it's being fought. When they start using these smears of racism and anti-Semitism and homophobe and nativism and xenophobe, when they start using those acquisitions, uh, accusations, you know you're winning. Because they'll never, the fact they never engage Trump on his economic program. You know why? They can't argue against 3.5% growth. They can't argue against the lowest African-American unemployment in history. They can't argue against lowest Hispanic in 25 years. They can't argue about wages finally starting to rise. 
okay? They've defended... Steve, Steve, Stephen, let me jump in on that. Let, let me jump yeah. in on that. You're very deliberate in using the modifier. Does the president also need to throw that modifier uh, economic in front of the word nationalism the way you do? No, I think, by the way, saying nationalism takes it all in. It takes civic nationalism. Which is about I know, but just to blunt the criticism, just just to just to just to kind of preempt I, I, the criticism I, I, and say economic nationalist—that's what I am. No, you know what? When we first started using this term years ago, people said the same thing. I think the nomenclature is important. I think you've got to keep pushing nationalism. It is economic and, and civic nationalism. It's not ethno nationalism. President Trump is the least one of the least racist people I've ever met. Okay, he's got a big heart. Uh, he, he's got you know he he, he reaches out to people. You know, this thing about him being a racist is ridiculous. He has never supported ethno-nationalism. There's no dog whistles here. This is the mainstream media understanding that when the full policies of Trump are imp- implemented, that the Democratic Party is going to lose its working class base, and then it's finished as an institution. Stephen, you've dealt with this. Stephen K. Bannon is my guest. Um, and so coming from you, this this kind of means something here. And I'd like to know how this I've read your writings, and I've listened to you, like I said, for years. I've listened to a lot of your speeches, a lot of your radio programs. I do not believe you to be a racist in, or a white supremacist in any sense of the words. Yet you were branded as the leader of the alt-right, the white supremacist, the white nationalist that Jim Acosta tried to throw up there when the president said nationalism. How did that happen to you? Well, listen, I think it's that accusation. When they don't want to tell you, here's what they forget about. It's how powerful Breitbart got in driving this message of working-class America. You know, remember, the working-class interests in this country of the Hispanic working class, the African-American working class, the white working class, all the working class, Asian, everybody had been forgotten about. And what they started to forget about was that. So then they have to throw these accusations up there. Remember, at Breitbart, we started Breitbart Jerusalem. We, we were the ones that led this thing about the plight of the Jews in Europe. There's this horrific anti-Semitism, and you see it in the Jeremy Corbyn uh, operation of the Labor Party, which I think is actually worse than anti-Semitism now. It's, actually, it's really hatred of Jewish people. Okay, you're starting to see this in Europe. We were the first guys to come out against that. We were the first guys to, to, to do the, the research. And every day on the radio show, every week, we would have it, the BDS movement here in the United States with the Democratic Party, with people like Kirsten Gillibrand and others, almost being a check that they have to do. We said, this thing is going to be horrible on college campuses. It's got to be stopped. Yet they throw anti-Semitism out. Here is the reason. The reason is they don't want to debate economics. They don't want to debate national security. They don't want to debate what the a nationalist program is, okay, which is not ethno-nationalism. So they want to throw... Uh, the uh, the accusations out. I hope they won. Here's the thing: they're not winning. They're losing that argument, and they're going to lose it more because the results are so powerful. If Trump, that's why these house races are so important. If Trump can, and they know this, they understand. Remember, the left understands something the Republican establishment didn't get. They understand that Trump's a transformative president and a historic figure, and that's why they've been walking. I disagree with these people ideologically. But they've been doing what the Tea Party did in 2010. They've been walking precincts since June, July, and August to make sure that Donald Trump's program is shut down in Congress. Stephen K. Bannon is my guest, former chief chief strategist uh, for the President of the United States, um, former executive at Breitbart News as well. 
Stephen, I'll, I'm going to wrap it with this because we're just about out of time here. Um, I'm going to tie the midterms in your prediction of what's going to happen next Tuesday, one week from today. I want to tie that to um, the the Democrat messaging as it pertains to what happened in Pittsburgh. And here's the way I mean that. I don't think they have a message. They have no way to counter the Republican uh, Republicans on the state of the economy, on the growth of the military, and all of the different things that the American people support so much and are so happy about. Lower taxes. They have no message whatsoever. Is that why they looked at the Pittsburgh situation and said the president caused that? The president is responsible for that. Even though he's the most pro-Israel and pro-Jewish president, I believe, in my lifetime, proven by his destruction of the Iran nuclear deal, which uh, secures Israel, proven by the movement of the embassy, to Jerusalem and the recognition of the capital. All of these things, Stephen, show that he is the furthest thing in the world from anti-Semitic, but they have no messaging for next Tuesday, so they've got to turn it into Trump leads hatred. Am I wrong? And how do you think it'll work? Well, l- listen, I, I hate to, to disparage our opponents by saying they were just such low tactics. I think it's part of their overall message is that they just hate Trump. And so at any time they can put up anything about Trump, taken away from the agenda but this is why the midterm so it's less strategy than just pure hatred in their hearts for him that's it here's the thing trump has triggered these people here's it it makes it's actually a rational response to them here's why as i said about a transformative president they understand right now that donald trump is going to be in their personal lives 10 20 30 years it's a kafka-esque novel for these people Okay, it's just not about changing the federal judiciary, which he's doing with the Federalist Society to get people like Judge Kavanaugh and Judge Gorsuch in there. Okay, it's the whole other other 140 federal judges, but it's deeper than that. He's deconstructing the administrative state. He's changing, like look look at birthright citizenship, which he's what he do by an EO. He is their heads blow up every day, and they understand Trump's going to be in their lives 20 years from now. That's why they will do any tactic that try to remove him from office and that's why if you support trump and that's what my c4 we don't support candidates we support ideas in the trump program right that's why i made this film trump at war and that's where we're going around the country to energize the trump base you got to stop shovels you got to get off your butt and you got to get out not just out to the poll you have to get every person you know that supports trump to the polls on november 6th because if you don't they're going to win I'm glad you mentioned Trump at War because I tweeted the trailer for that documentary film out before you came on this morning. Uh, give us just a little bit more. Give me 30 more seconds about what Trump at War is about and where can people see we, it. We start, go to trumpatwar.com. It is, a, it is a film to energize the base. I started nine months ago. Understanding that the closing days of this race, people that support Trump would need to be energized to understand what's at stake. This lays it all out. This is what the film and then get go to a phone bank or go not on doors or get your friends and neighbors to go to vote trump at war is a film go to trump at war.com it's uh, stephen k bannon's uh, documentary to try to uh, energize and uh, invigorate trump voters stephen thank you so much for coming on i know you lead a very very busy you carry a very very busy schedule but i really appreciate you making some time for us this morning here in cleveland and uh, best of luck with what you do Honored to be on the show. Love to come back. Thanks. Sir. Thank you. I would love to have you back. Thank you, Stephen. Stevie K. Bannon on AM 1420, The Answer. Let's catch up now on uh, the Bob France Authority. Just to follow up on the last question that I asked uh, Stephen K. Bannon, 
I really meant what I said about the Democrats having literally nothing. I think the Trump is an anti-Semite who inspired the Pittsburgh synagogue shooter is just as big of a Hail Mary as Brett Kavanaugh is a gang rapist. They know they are losing. They know they can't stop Brett Kavanaugh, or couldn't at the time, from getting confirmed on the basis of his record or his qualifications, so they had to attack his personal character and tell lies about him as a serial gang rapist. It failed. And I think right now, going into next Tuesday, one week from today, as we decide the leadership of the Congress for the rest of President Trump's term, his first term anyway, I think this is the exact same Hail Mary. A nut job who doesn't even like Trump shot up a Pittsburgh synagogue. Let's claim he was inspired by Trump anyway. Trump is the anti-Semite. Trump fosters hatred. Trump breeds hatred. He speaks hatred. He bleeds hatred. He is making people hate in this country. And even though this guy hated him, he hated Jews more because of Trump. Let's call Trump anti-Semitic. That's what this is. It is every bit the Hail Mary that the Kavanaugh attacks were. And you know what? I think it's going to be every bit as successful as the Kavanaugh tactics were. In other words, it's going to fail spectacularly. We'll get the news now, and on the other side of that, we're going to talk more about the 14th Amendment and an end to birthright citizenship. That's what the president is promising. rather. David Ray, Federation for American Immigration Reform, joins us next right here on AM 1420. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.